Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the Radio Listener Specials for the buy one, get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Please be aware, the stories, theories, reenactments, and language in this podcast are of an adult nature and can be considered disturbing, frightening, and in some cases, even offensive. Listener discretion is therefore advised. Welcome, heathens. Welcome to the world of the weird and unexplained. I am your host, Nicole Delacroix, and together we will be investigating stories about the things that go bump in the night, frighteningly imagined creatures, supernatural beings, and even some unsolved mysteries and all sorts of weirdness. So, sit back, grab your favorite drink, and prepare to be transported to today's dark enigma. And on today's Dark Enigma, well, let's first start out with Happy New Year, my heathens! And today, we're going to start off with a little-known story, but I hope you guys will like it. So, with that said, we will still be playing our drinking game. And as you know, the drinking game is only for those of us that are at home and have nowhere else to go tonight. The choice of libation, as always, my darlings, is yours. So, choose your poison accordingly. All right, now for the game part. How about every time I say Thor, that's going to be a single shot. And every time I say Virginia, that'll be a double shot. All right, I know you guys are scratching your heads, but we'll get there. Now that the business end is out of the way, we can jump headfirst into today's dark enigma. So don your very best formal tinfoil hat and grab your ray gun as we head into the crazy, wicked, and wild story of Valiant Thor, the Venusian. So, today's story is one you may or may not be aware of, but it is one hell of a story. And even if a small percentage of it is true, well, you know what? You're going to see. Anyway, this story was a suggestion from a dear friend that got lost in my inbox, so I'm redeeming myself and starting the very new year with it. So, first we need to jump into a little bit of a brief summary. The story of Valiant Thor is that he was sent down by a council of nine to keep us from destroying ourselves. Yeah, I'm just going to say he didn't do a very good job, but whatever. 
Well, let's not jump too far down the rabbit hole, as we first need to establish a little information about the Council of Nine. So, in 2013, former Canadian Minister of Defense Paul Hellyer made a shocking claim that there's a federation of extraterrestrial beings monitoring and guiding humanity. Pause for a moment because I'm just going to point out they're doing a very shitty job. Just a point. Back to the story. But why would such an esteemed politician make such a controversial announcement? Well, believe it or not, evidence can be found throughout history to prove his claims can very well be true. Stories of emperors, kings, and pharaohs consulting a pantheon of nine gods can be found in virtually every culture across the globe. Even channeling sessions conducted by the CIA back in the 1950s connected with an, ult- an otherworldly group of entities known as the Nine, extraterrestrials that were here to influence the events on Earth. So this interview sent shockwaves through the media, as you can imagine, right? Viewers question why a high-level official would make such an announcement. Well, let's go back a little bit. Back up to Edgewood Arsenal, Chesapeake Bay, Maryland, 1952. As part of a secret government program termed Project Penguin. Yeah, I know the military's great with the names, right? Project Penguin. Whatever. Medical doctor and psychiatrist Andrija Purik set up a special laboratory where psychics and military personnel gathered to investigate psychological manipulation and hallucinogenic drugs. I'm going to say precursor to the 60s. Just saying. Anyways. Perhaps one of the most compelling and controversial aspects of Purok's research was channeling, which involved making contact with non-physical beings through the use of psychics. I know. Interesting, right? Well, in December of 1952, Porik invited Hindu mystic and doctor D.G. Vinod to one of these channeling sessions. During the experiment, Vinod went into a deep trance and made contact with a group of entities called the Nine. Now we're going to go back a little bit further and talk about ancient Egypt, too. Because in Heliopolis, Cairo, known as the Sun City, it's one of the oldest and most sacred sites of ancient Egypt. Although mostly destroyed, there is an obelisk that remains, marking the spot where the temple of the sun god, Atum, once stood. Here, the ancient pharaohs would connect to the Ened, a council of, you guessed it, nine deities who were said to have brought technology and knowledge to mankind. I'm guessing that they're probably regretting that decision, but that's my personal opinion. But according to Egyptian hieroglyphs, consultation with the Ened was chief among the pharaoh's duties and critical to the success of the nation. The Ened started with the god Atum, the god of the solar disk or the sun. Then there was god Shu, the god of the wind, the goddess Tefnut, the goddess of the water, the god Geb, the god of the land, and the goddess Nut, the goddess of the sky. Isis, the mother to all the kings, and the god Osiris, the god of good, and god Set, the god of evil, and the goddess Nephithis, the goddess of death. Everything in ancient Egyptians' world was revolving around one of these nine gods or all of them. 
So the pharaoh of Egypt would consult with the nine gods, the Aned, with every aspect in life to make sure that he was doing the right thing. And every ancient Egyptian local would have their full trust that anything coming out of the mouth of the king was the word of God because he had already heard it himself. But what if the Aned were actually extraterrestrial beings here to guide humans along? Because the pyramid texts tell us that the god Atum actually comes from Cyrus. If you guys know your astrology, Sirius A and B are the twin dog star planets. Anyways, all of this brings us to the big story of Valiant Thor. And our story with Valiant Thor actually starts in Washington, D.C. back in 1957. A federal marshal and chaplain who had top secret security clearance at the Pentagon, a Dr. Frank Stranges, is introduced to an extraterrestrial being by the name of Valiant Thor, who is secretly working with the U.S. government. Stranges later goes public with the shocking allegations in his groundbreaking book, Stranger at the Pentagon, which, by the way, if you haven't read it, totally read it. It's a little bit dry, but it's really interesting when you get into it. Anyways, according to accounts, Valiant Thor had been sent to Earth by the High Council to intervene on behalf of the intergalactic community. Basically, they were worried about our nuclear capabilities, and it had become an interstellar concern. Big surprise that we get a bomb and we're fucking people shit up. No big surprise, right? Anyways, as outlandish as the claims seem to be, photographs have actually surfaced of Thor meeting with top officials. And believe it or not, nobody has stepped forward to dispute them. Even members of President Eisenhower's family insisted that this story is true. And here's where we dig into the incredible tale. We're going to start from the very beginning, my darlings, so buckle up. With the first meeting between humans and Valiant Thor in Alexandria, Virginia, on March 16, 1957, where Thor, one of the finest leaders of the planet Venus, operating under the direction of the central control, and who had been chosen to make the contact as well as direct this project, landed his spacecraft. He was met by two police officers, and I know this is going to surprise you, their weapons were drawn. Because, you know, somebody flying down from the heavens, coming to Earth, we gonna shoot you. What else is new, right? Valiant Thor quickly gave a thought transference to both of the police officers to convince them that he meant no harm, and thus was ushered into the backseat of their patrol car. After crossing into Washington, D.C., they were met by the Secretary of Defense along with six of his staff members. Soon, police from every conceivable district and agency had joined into this lovely little convoy, all trying to claim their right to escort Val, as he preferred to be called, to President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Through Thor's ver version of the power of positive thinking, he was able to dismiss them all and soon passed through the security post, followed by a single Air Force captain. Meanwhile, Val's presence in the area had thrown everyone into a bit of a dilemma. The introduction he held from the High Council worried everybody because, though it wasn't written in any earthly language, their minds had been given the power to properly translate the inscribed message. 
an Air Force captain asked Val to remain, and after downing two plain bourbons, muttered to himself, My God, why couldn't this have happened on my day off? Well, I'm going to say if it would have happened on his day off, he'd probably piss himself, but whatever. Suddenly at that point, the door opened, and six armed guards led Val to what appeared to be an elevator. That elevator rapidly went to the bottommost level, and maximum security was all over the place. After transferring to an underground train, they sped toward the White House. Six officials, six armed guards, three Secret Service men, and Val, all escorting him to the office of President Eisenhower. When they arrived, from behind the desk, the president rose while the Secret Service men remained, well, nervous and uneasy because, you know, they're Secret Service. As Val extended his hand to shake that of the president, the Secret Service men drew their revolvers and pointed them at Val because, again, we're going to shoot you. What else is new? Following the nod from the president, they reluctantly put their weapons away. Standing in front of his desk, the president said, of course you know we have suspended all rules of protocol. I have a good feeling about you. Please, sir, what is your name, and where do you come from? Valiant Thor responded, I come from the planet that your Bible calls the morning and the evening star. Eisenhower questioned, You mean Venus? Val responded with, Yes, sir. And Eisenhower said, Can you prove this to us? Thinking he was pretty smart. Which Val asked, What do you constitute as proof? And the president quickly retorted, well, I don't know. So Val said, well, will you come to, with me to my ship? The president, of course, with a quizzical look, answered and said, my friend, I cannot come and go as I please. There are others to be considered. There are committees to be consulted and security measures to be adhered to. Please send some time with us here. Let's get better acquainted, learn more about each other, and perhaps soon, real soon, well, We'll see. At that moment, Vice President Richard Nixon, Tricky Dick, rushed into the room. And to Val, Tricky Dick seemed to be very sharp, quick-witted, with fixed eyes, and an amazing aptitude towards speed and proficiency. To Val said, my name is Valiant. And the Vice President thrust his hand without hesitation and responded, you have certainly caused a stir for an out-of-towner. The vice president, of course, smiled because he thought he was very clever. Of course, we are not totally convinced of anything just yet, but suffice to say, we are checking and double-checking everything you say and do. When Sergeant Young from Alexandria radioed in and stated that you had just landed in a flying saucer, well, we thought Sergeant Young had flipped. Say, were you in on that UFO flap over Washington? You certainly had us all in a dither if you were. Yeah, tricky dick. Making things wonderful for Americans everywhere the world over, right? Holding the message from the High Council in his hand, the President stated that Val's offer to help the human race would really upset the economy of the United States and could plunge the country into the abyss of chaos. In brief, he politely told Val the people of this planet were not ready to cope with such conditions as would come into existence if the recommendations of this unearthly visitor were put into action. Nevertheless, Val was invited to assist a number of scientists who were out working on medical projects directly associated with the space scientists. And Val's allotted time to acquaint the leaders of the United States with his suggestions was limited to three years. 
And of course, Val, after assuring them that this planet had been under close scrutiny for hundreds of years before the 1945 bomb blast, and with his special letter still in the slightly quivering hand of the president, he was requested to follow the Secret Service back the way that they had come, to the Pentagon, where he was put into a beautifully furnished apartment where he would spend the next three years. Fortunately, Val was prepared for such a lengthy visit and kept in constant communication with his starship. There were many occasions during which he teleported himself in and out of those quarters, often exercising trans imagery to cause the security guards to visualize his face on a non-existent badge. So much for us keeping him locked up in an apartment, right? Anyways, Soon after his arrival, together with three members of his crew, he joined a convention in the backyard of the home of a Mr. Howard Menger in Highbridge, New Jersey. Because if you ever thought that things weren't weird enough, there's always New Jersey. And don't take that the wrong way, people from New Jersey, because I love you. I think you guys are great, and I love the weirdness, so don't worry about it. The month was April in 1957 and a certain group of individuals who were interested in UFOs were meeting that day. Val and his crew members, Don, Jill, and Tanya, had changed into the same type of clothing that was worn by their Earth friends, because they didn't want to seem out of place. The meeting was very interesting, and these people were on the right track, according to Val. He was dismayed, though, to learn the undignified manner in which these people were treated by the press. A curious young photographer by the name of August C. Roberts snapped several pictures, thinking he was doing so without Val's knowledge. And the photographer seemed to be very troubled when he attempted to talk to Val, but soon found out that Val had wanted him to take the pictures because he wanted proof of his existence. But back in his apartment, Val was able to maintain communications with his ship and was kept informed of the growing world tensions. His uniform that he had arrived with underwent rigid tests at that time, although by today's standards we would consider these tests obsolete, at the time they were state-of-the-art. They attempted to penetrate the material with a diamond drill bit, but the bit snapped under the pressure. Acid rolled directly off the uniform, burning a hole in the floor but never touching the material. They even fired a high-velocity rifle at the uniform, but it failed to pierce the uniform at all. The report to the president about this material simply read this. Physical appearance, soft, silver, and gold, lustrous. Fabric, unknown. Weight, six ounces total, including boots. Cut, close fitting like a tunic, no cuffs, pockets, buttons, zippers, clips, or hooks. I'm going to stop for a second there because I'm going to go, you're from another fucking planet, you have interstellar travel, and you don't even have any fucking pockets? Not buying it. Okay, back to this. Then it says the RXT2 test find it un- indestructible. Finally, a bright-eyed colonel escorted Val to a place where the final test would be performed. Val looked at the laser instrument amusingly, and upon command, the laser aimed a fine line of intense light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. The colonel began his discourse that this device contained a crystal synthetic ruby in which atoms, when emitted by focused light waves, amplify and concentrate these waves, then emit the the beam. As the colonel continued to speak, his smile gave way to utter dismay. The ray was totally ineffective against the garment. 
The colonel babbled on long after the laser had been turned off, and he reiterated how powerful the U.S. had become since the splitting of the atom. In fact, he gave Valiant Thor a lesson in atomic fusion, because when somebody lands from another planet in an interstellar spaceship and has indestructible uniforms, you gotta teach them about atomic fusion. Morons. Anyways, the colonel went on to state that when a chain reaction of nuclear fission is set off by a neutron bombardment in the atoms or a change of plutonium or uranium isotope with an atomic weight of 235, an, an immense quantity of energy is suddenly released. The good colonel finally talked himself out and Val was pretty much sent back to his quarters, along with his uniform. And thus, 1959 was fast drawing to a close. With it, chiefs of states were in constant turmoil, and confusion was the rule of the day. Indecision caused delay after delay. Economists and industrial giants conferred with politicians and military heads daily. The government leaders could not reconcile Val's position to force their hand if he so desired, but chose not to. Several scientists attempted to learn the secrets of interstellar travel without success. And by Christmas, Dr. Strange had been busy presenting a series of scientific lectures and speaking at a number of churches in Washington, D.C. And earlier that month, he had actually returned from Cuba where he had met with Fidel Castro. But unbeknownst to Dr. Strange's, Valiant Thor had been working with someone he trusted in the Pentagon to formulate a plan where the two of them could meet. Dr. Strange's names her Nancy, but of course that wasn't her real name, but we'll go ahead and call her Nancy since that's what he called her. So Nancy attends this lecture service conducted at the National Evangelistic Center, pastored by John, Dr. John Mears in Washington, D.C. Following the conclusion, she approaches the platform and asks to speak to Dr. Strange's. Oddly, the photographer in New Jersey had given valiant thor's photographs to the good doctor who had been displaying them in his lecture series ever since but the doctor didn't really have too much knowledge about the person in the picture other than what the photographer had told him but while he was signing copies of his book nancy was able to gain the good doctor's attention showed her pentagon id which quickly garnered the doctor's full attention Going into the pastor's study, Nancy asked if the doctor would like to meet the man in the photographs personally. The doctor, of course, answered with a resounding yes, where Nancy then gave him instructions on how to make the meet happen. She told the doctor to meet her at the curb in front of his hotel at 8 a.m. the next morning. Nancy, of course, arrived precisely on time and thus began the journey, which would seem unreal, but would but which later would prove beyond a doubt that there is truly life in this big universe for the doctor and submit one of the most truly bizarre stories in the American psyche. Those familiar with the Pentagon know that the normal traffic flow approaching it is to go to the right. Nancy, however, drove to the left, indicating immediately that there was definitely something strange going on. Nancy and the doctor had to stand in line to pass security, where first one, then another, visualized an ID badge for the doctor, much to the doctor's surprise. Nancy left the doctor standing in front of a door which contained absolutely no markings. And as the door opened, the doctor walked in and stood on the threshold. The doctor shifted from one foot to the other as he cleared his throat. The three men in the room were completely unaware of the doctor's presence and ignored him completely. 
later, the Doctor would find out that Valiant Thor had clouded their minds and rendered them oblivious to the entire session. They would just continue with their work, never knowing that the Doctor was there. And the Doctor noted, and I quote, and this is directly from the book, so I am quoting, Being a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as well as a student of the Bible for many years, coupled with my experience as a special investigator, I felt as though my senses were functioning properly and that I knew exactly what I was about to do. I was on my guard for fakes and frauds. In walked a man about six feet tall, perhaps 185 pounds, brown wavy hair, brown eyes. His complexion appeared normal and slightly tan. As I approached him and he looked at me, it was as though he looked straight through me. With a warm smile and extending his hand, he greeted me by name. Hello, Frank. How are you? His genuineness astonished me, but quickly I understood. As I gripped his hand, I was somewhat surprised to feel the soft texture of his skin, like that of a baby, but with the strength of a man that silently testified to his power and intensity. His voice was very strong and mellow. It was filled with purpose and character. I again looked around the room to see whether the other men would say or do anything. They were still working as if I weren't even there. I noticed that he was wearing the same type of clothing as I. When I asked if he possessed any other clothing, he said that he had given several officials a garment so that they could run tests on it. He then proceeded to a closet and produced a one-piece suit that glittered as the sun, which streamed in through the windows, hit the fabric. I thought that it looked much like liquid sunshine. I asked him about the material from which it was made, and he answered, It is made of a material not of this earth. The general appearance of the suit was all one piece, even down to the boots. It contained no buttons, zippers, or snaps. I asked him how it held together. He demonstrated by holding the front together and passing his hand over it as if to smooth it out, and I could not even locate the opening. It was held together by an invisible force. End quote. Val stated his purpose in coming was to help mankind return to the Lord, and he spoke in positive terms, always with a smile on his face. He said that man was further away from God than ever before, but there was still a good chance if man looks in the right place. He stated he had been on earth nearly three years and would soon depart. Claiming that he would not use force to speak with men in authority in America, he was happy to consult with them at their invitation. He further stated that thus far only a few men in Washington even knew of his existence in the Pentagon, and few leaders had availed themselves of his advice during these years, and he felt there was still so much to do and yet his time of departure was getting near. When the doctor asked him where he was from, he simply replied, I am from the planet that is called Venus. The doctor asked him how many visitors from Venus were presently on Earth, and he said, There are presently 77 of us walking among you in the United States. We are constantly coming and going. During the next 30 minutes, Val told the doctor things about himself and his family that even the doctor did not know himself, but was ultimately able to verify them through his parents and grandparents. He even gave information regarding the gravitational pull of Venus in comparison to Earth. Val said the abdominal muscles hold flesh firm against the mild gravitational pull, which is three twentieths less than that of Earth. The doctor was troubled by Val's use of the expression, when the time is right, when asked if they would ever meet again. 
and his lack of fingerprints intrigued the doctor, who had been involved as a private investigator for quite some time, even working at times on loan to some of the government agencies. Val told the doctor that all Earth people were thusly marked since the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden, during the very dawn of civilization as we know it today. And after much discussion, the doctor finally asked the burning question, Is there life on other planets? And Val's reply was, There's life on many other planets of which people on Earth know nothing. There are more solar systems for which man has not even given God credit. There are many beings that have never transgressed the perfect laws of God. Man does not possess the right to condemn the whole of God's creation because he himself has broken the perfect laws of God through disobedience. The doctor asked him what he would do if the military prevented him from leaving on the appointed day. And Val simply stated, Frank, do you remember one day after Jesus arose from the dead? He had gone in search of several of his followers. They closed themselves in a locked room, and suddenly they saw Jesus standing in the very midst of them. And then he smiled and looked as if to imply, need I say more? As the doctor turned to leave the room, Val said simply, please keep your faith and leave the same way that you came in. Continue to seek the first kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will, in time, be added to you and yours. Goodbye for now, and God bless you and keep you always. So I'm going to stop for a second because I think that a lot of this story is most of it being told by Frank Stranges, who, by his own admission, is a minister and has put way too much symbolism in here for God and all of that. I find it hard to believe that that a creature from another planet is going to worship the same God as us and knows about Jesus Christ since it happened on this planet, which I get that he's watching us and he knows everything that we do. But why would he take the story from our you know, little, little crust of, of earth into his own heart. It it just doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, that's just my personal opinion. So don't, don't gang up on me. Read into it what you will. Anyways, Val's instructions were to leave Washington DC no later than March 16th, 1960. That meant that there was less than three months during which he could confer with scientists, politicians, military men, and the like. And all of them missed his point entirely. They were all filled with self-ambition and cared little for the pressing needs of mankind as a whole. His efforts to bring about an end to the sickness and disease that plagued this planet were met with, well, a pathetic refusal. He was told over and over that his presence and his ideas were a threat to the political and economic structure. Certain religious leaders were also fearful of losing a grip on the people in the event that his presence was admitted on an official level. It was very disheartening that the administration failed to lay hold of such information that would change the course of human activities for the good because of economic reasons. And I'm not buying that it was economic. It's more of egotistical reasons, but that's just me. Security regulations were very tight, but despite the fact that they knew he would come and go as he pleased, they delighted in playing their game. Val had vowed not to use force, and so another course of action would be necessary if the information which he had to relate were to be disseminated. His very last meeting with the president did not reap any lasting results. He wanted to let the world know of Val's proposed plan, but the security of def- the, I'm sorry, the Secretary of Defense, the head of the CIA, and the military chiefs of staff all opposed this suggestion. The president attempted to effect a joint meeting with the General Assembly of the United Nations. 
But this plan, too, was rejected. He was informed that the UN would receive a special press release in the form of a memorandum to the Secretary General no later than February 7th of 1966. These leaders of the U.S. government argued long into the night, fearing that if the people of this nation learned of the plan that Val was offering, they might choose to follow him instead of them. When a man feels that his personal peace and tranquility may be threatened, the human reaction is always that of, of swift self-preservation. And at one point, the vice president insisted that the pressure boys allow the president to make the choice, but he was ultimately vetoed without even a chance to complete his statements. World conditions were not growing any better. Much international pressure was being brought to bear upon the administration. They fought diligently and enforced rigid re regulations with stiff penalties re for revealing Val's very presence. Even a major newscaster who inadvertently learned of his visit through one of his paid informants was silenced by none other than the CIA, which has consistently disclaimed all knowledge concerning UFOs. Until, you know, they announced this year that, yeah, there are UFOs. Meanwhile, the, they maintained secret files that could actually prove the existence of intelligent life in the universe beyond all doubt. The morning of March 15, 1960, saw Valiant Thor meeting with Nancy, who would continue to work inside the Pentagon and be one of his contacts in the Washington, D.C. area. She would continue communication with others who would become part of his Earth contacts. There are still to this day many adversaries to human freedom. These parasites have embedded themselves in all phases of human society and will never be exposed except maybe by extraterrestrial intervention. Or possibly celestial intervention. Let's go with that. There are confused individuals who have perfected a saucer type of aircraft, and some of these are the result of an attempt by some to institute a master race, and remnants of this group still exist to this day, so be careful. This craft that they have designed are still seen from time to time in areas of South America, where some of those involved in the original plan still reside. These should not be confused with the spacecraft originating from other worlds or those coming from the interior of this planet, nor should the occupants of craft originating from other worlds be confused with these evil messengers who do not originate from Earth, but were cast into it after the first war ever recorded. They are in league with earthly low-graded low people who have condemned themselves because of their own choices. So on March 16th, Val dematerialized and departed from this phase of his earthly mission. His next stop was the outskirts of Alexandria, Virginia, where his ship and his crew awaited his arrival, hidden by a wooded area. It was no problem for him to reassemble the atoms of his body inside his ship. And as his craft rose slowly, a number of people stopped and pointed excitedly in his direction. Others stood motionless, transfixed by the sight which they beheld. He felt such a tremendous feeling of love for all of them. There was no panic in them, just curiosity and a strong desire to know more. Then, as the U.S. Air Force jets started to scramble, and with the force field now in full use, the planes darted right past his ship, unable to see him now. Even ground radar lost him on their equipment, and confusion once again reigned supreme. On the way back to Victor One, he meditated on his home planet, the low, heavy, colorful clouds, the even temperatures, and the perfectly diffused sunlight that made shadows almost non-existent, the lushness of the rich green grass surrounding his home. 
Strangely enough, those who knew of his presence, yet who claimed disbelief, were those who feared it the most. Others figured that they should have been the ones contacted and not the ones that were contacted. Upon returning to his home planet, he advised the Council of the results of his Earth visit, including the failure of the leaders of the United States to take him up on his offer of advice and assistance to the human race. And Val was given the following instructions. To mingle with and become as Earth people. To work and labor in Earth enterprises. To help those who encounter possible threat or danger while striving for world peace. To give them advice and guidance. To entrust with superior knowledge those who have proven themselves. Divulge the essence of their mission to the collective national leaders of Earth only when the time is right. So it's a pretty strange tale to be sure. And how much of it is fictional and how much of it is factual... Well, nobody can say for sure. But it does make you stop and think, how different could this world have been had even just a portion of this been true? And we actually took the offer from Valiant Thor and the Council of Nine. Something to think about in the new world and the new year. Maybe, maybe we can make some of those changes happen on our own. And with that, my darlings, we've come to the end of our episode. I thank you for joining me here today, and I hope that you will take some time to reach out to me and share your thoughts on today's episode and tell me what you think. You can always reach me and the show at darkenigmapodcast at gmail.com. And if you have a suggestion for a future show, you just want to tell me what you think, you're bored and you need somebody to talk to, drop me a line because I do reply to every single email. And on that note, that's all the time that I have for you this evening. I thank you for joining me here on Renegade Talk Radio. And that's right, don't forget to tune in next time. See you, my heathens. I love you. We don't sugarcoat shit. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio.